Hi, welcome to the Whole Therapist Podcast. We're leaving out the theorizing and exploring this strange phenomenon of being a human and a therapist. I'm Kelly, licensed marriage and family therapist, working in private practice settings as a clinician and a clinical supervisor in the Denver metro area. And I'm Abby. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and the owner of a group practice in the Denver metro area. Kelly and I are both registered play therapists, supervisors, and EMDR certified. So we're both therapists, but this is not therapy. And we're both supervisors, but this is not supervision. This podcast is purely for fun. So for any ethical concerns on your caseload, please refer to your state laws and licensing boards. And please remember to follow The Whole Therapist on Instagram, Facebook, and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening station. For more resources, blogs, and consultation opportunities, visit wholetherapistinstitute.com. So come join our conversation while we explore the embodied experience of neuroscience and authenticity in the therapy room. Hi, welcome to the Whole Therapist Podcast. I'm Kelly. And I'm Abby. Welcome to the show. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but we're going to keep it. Uh, we're caffeinated now, so <laughs> welcome. We're happy to have you again. We are wanting to chat about something called Block Trust and Blocked Care. Abby had read this book, and I've been reading it recently, The Neurobiology of Attachment-Focused Therapy, Enhancing Connection and Trust in the Treatment of Children and Adolescents. And it's Jonathan Balin and Daniel Hughes. And Dan Hughes is the trainer for DDP? He is a dyadic developmental psychotherapy. So he has books written that Kelly and I have read. He has a couple of them, but then does like formal trainings. I've mentored under someone who's certified, but I don't think either of us have done the formal. No, I've not done any. I'm very interested in it at some point. Yes. Have not. But this book has been fantastic. Um, the reason I came up is because I ended up having kind of themes around block trust and block care come up in some of my supervisions. So an, an example that I think we could start with is actually starting with an adult where maybe, and actually I think I, I've had kids say this to me too, but maybe you are being really like nurturing or compassionate and you kind of have this like therapist voice about you Mm -hmm. and a client maybe says to you don't talk to me like I'm a baby Mm -hmm. that is your cue to know that this child part has just entered the room and that there is this child part that experienced having blocked trust and the reason why they have blocked trust is maltreatment in like early childhood experiences and that could be abuse neglect Mm -hmm. It could also be those chronic attachment wounds of needs not being met. Yeah, I was just thinking like chronic misattunement. Yes. Yeah, so they can't, basically from the time we're born, the the amygdala is turned on and there are messages being sent to it frequently. And if we are in a chronic state of having our caregiver misattuned or there is neglect and all of those things, we need to stay in our amygdala. So we can't turn on this like social engagement system which allows us to trust that somebody else will kind of help help us or be there for us or take care of us. And so we really need to take control to be safe. Yeah, so the blocked trust is adaptive and helpful and actually like the wisest thing that the child could do. Yes. 
but it's hard to really hold that in mind if you're working with an adult and you're being kind and and care Mm -hmm. and you're giving nurture and they I mean it's called blocked trust because it's a block I'm thinking of volleyball when you like Mm. throw your hand up and it's like like you know not it's not actually it's not volleyball because that's more like serve and return no no that's true if you're at the net Mm -hmm. yeah 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 you cannot come over here yeah yep (laughs) go back over there exactly and it can be really jolting to the therapist's nervous system totally so really helpful to have that idea of different parts Mm -hmm. that is not the client's authentic adult self that can metabolize nurture and care Mm -hmm. and receive and give it Yes. That's the child part who, for very good reason, mm-hmm. um, cannot trust. Yes. Yeah. And depending on where you are in the treatment phase, it would be a really good opportunity to maybe ask, hey, how old does that part feel mm-hmm. that, that just felt this, I'm talking to you like a baby? Yeah. And you can start to kind of delve into those parts. But what happens for kiddos that have block trust is often an adult then will step into what's called blocked care because there's this rejection yes. that's going to activate the adult's attachment system. So the adult may become really defensive. I think in the therapy room, when we experience blocked trust from a client, we may go into blocked care by saying the client is being resistant. I don't like that word. I know. It's I like nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we we have to be really careful to not then actually just repeat exactly this same parent-child dynamic that had happened for whether it's this child part of the adult or actually a child. This is really, I, and I almost feel myself wanting to slow it down because I'm still integrating what we're talking about. Maybe that's always true. I don't know. As a therapist, but I'm thinking about Alan Shore's research, like over 50 years, right? that proves that we are always going to recreate in adulthood what we knew as children mm. and how client, I mean, it showed a lot of things, but that was one of the tenants, I think. Am I remembering that right? I don't actually don't know. It's like the longest longitudinal attachment study. Wow. I believe that that's a big part of it is that he followed people throughout the lifespan and that the caregiving relationships that people had zero to five they're going to seek out and recreate those same relationships in adulthood Mm -hmm. and we kind of know this to be true as clinicians but this study has proven that Mm -hmm. so when clients come in and have blocked trust they're implicitly recreating the dynamic like oh my therapist isn't safe to meet my needs Mm -hmm. I'm going to block this trust Mm -hmm. and that is the moment of need where we get to show up Oh, I I noticed this. What was that like for you? I hear you. That was hard Mm -hmm. to hear. Mm -hmm. Thank you for telling me. I didn't know. Yes. Right? As opposed to if we show up with blocked care, exactly, we're recreating. And that's familiar to the client Mm -hmm. and tragic. Mm -hmm. Just because it's familiar does not make it any less devastating. Right. Um, But I think it's really seductive. We can get pulled into that because the client needs the disconfirming experience. Mm -hmm. But then we have to be so aware of where we are Mm -hmm. in the therapy room and our own parts. So if I'm a therapist, and this is me, that found a lot of value growing up in childhood by taking care of other people, Mm -hmm. what does block trust feel like? It's going to feel like rejection if I'm not careful. Yes. So I can notice that part of me like, ooh, that didn't feel good. 
okay, I can make sense of this. That's a younger part of me Mm -hmm. and show up as the clinician and be nurturing still. Yeah. And the part of me that would show up, we've talked about, is this people-pleasing part. Yeah. Right? So if somebody shows up with block trust in my room, I'm immediately going into, oh, they don't like me, Mm. Um, which I suppose is still rejection. Yeah. 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 Right. As you were talking, I was thinking about Dan Siegel and this like connection over correction. Yes. And that's exactly what he talks about. Mm-hmm. When the hardest behaviors show up, yes. that is the time that we actually really need to move into connection. And it's the time you don't want to. Yeah. Unless you're careful. It's yes. just like the hardest thing for, you know, caregivers, uh, therapists. Yes. Well, and I'm thinking about TheraPlay. So we're talking about how this comes up with adults. Mm-hmm. Um, but with little kiddos, we both do TheraPlay. And there's this activity with Band-Aids called Caring for Hurts. And so I'll model this with kiddos and their parents. And it's like the child that doesn't have any hurts, actually. Mm-hmm. Has no hurts and definitely doesn't want them to be cared for. Mm-hmm. And that would be block trust, mm-hmm. for example. And for the parent that can kindly kind of be coached through, okay, well, mom, would you hold on to this Band-Aid in case so-and-so needs it? Because it's a mommy job to take care of your hurts if you have any. Yes. I hear you that today you don't. Yes. If they come up, can mom hold on to this? You know, mm-hmm. And the mom that's like, oh, yes, because I'm going to be ready. Mm-hmm. That feels so different than the parent that's like, great, no hurts for you. Mm-hmm. Guess you don't need me to take care of you. Mm-hmm. Or like makes it personal. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just want to take care of your hurts and you're not letting me. I'm so sad. I'm yes. so sad. And the child is feeling like, oh. And so I think this comes up often because when there's blocked care, the parent is asking the child to take care of their needs. Yes. Which further causes blocked trust. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's a like, nasty cycle. Oh, yes. <laughs> One example that in this book they gave was a teenager who did not want to be in therapy and I think they said the only reason that you are seeing me is because you want money Mm -hmm. and the therapist having this information about block trust and block care knew that this client was presenting as with block trust Mm -hmm. and so the therapist moved into saying oh that makes complete sense why you don't want to be here why would anyone want to be here if they thought they were just a dollar sign? Yeah. Right. It it goes back to the simplest or the most, I mean, not simple, but the most basics about becoming a therapist yeah. is validation. <laughs> Let's just validate first. But I think validate is a verb and there's something that I wish could be attached to it of like a, um, a being. Is that a noun? Mm. I guess it's like, Validate is an action, but mm-hmm. what you're talking about and, I, and what and what he's talking about is so much more than like a doing. Mm-hmm. It feels like, but we can't, like the embodiment of validation can't be there unless you are really. Yes. Because I guess as you're talking, I'm like, yeah, we learned how to do this in like whatever, practicum 101. Mm-hmm. But I still, what was the difference between then and 10 years later? It's that being like, am I really okay with whatever the client brings today? Right. Like, I'm okay. Yes. And I know that they're hurting, and I get to see them today, and I get to show up in a way mm-hmm. that disconfirms mm-hmm. the narrative that they hold in their body. Mm-hmm. There's joy in that. Yes. I don't, I didn't have the ability, I hadn't done my own work 10 years ago mm-hmm. to even think of it that way. Right. Does that make sense? Like, it's a being or something, there's something ethereal. No, you're right. 
it reminds me of with dialectical behavior therapy and the way they talk about validation is that when we validate somebody, it doesn't mean that we're saying everything you're saying is true and correct. We're just holding that this narrative feels really true for you. And that's the part that we can be with. Exactly. While holding this other part that there is probably another narrative. Yeah. Or something else is happening. It's like valuing their perception. Yes. I think that might be a really helpful thing for newer therapists to think about or seasoned therapists that are entering into IPNB and Mm -hmm. relational neuroscience is that in the therapy room, there are always two different stories. Mm. You hold one and the client is holding one. There's two different nervous systems, two different perceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and our job is to like radically attune to the clients mm-hmm. and as they can tolerate it, share our own. Mm-hmm. Right, which is why it's so important that we're able to have, with EMDR speak, one foot in and one foot yeah. out. We have to yeah. in one foot of their narrative while still knowing what our narrative is which is why it's really difficult to do big family therapy pieces because you have to hold everyone. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, when it it shows up personally for us too, right? Even just with outside of clients. I can remember doing a presentation and feeling like really frazzled. Mm-hmm. And I have all sorts of memories from doing presentations as a kid that did not go well. Usually me Aww. ending in like crying. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. So, you know, just like speaking in front of people is something I have to work on. Sure. Which is why a podcast is fantastic for me. (laughs) I only have you here. And we can edit it. Yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. So I'm all flustered in this presentation and I'm sure out of care, this uh, like supervisor colleague steps in and says, well, why don't you do this? And I immediately was like, no, oh no, I will not do that. Yeah. You know, and that is blocked trust. Yes. Thankfully, actually, this person was able to say, oh, okay, well, what makes sense for you? Mm-hmm. You know, had they then went into a different kind of mode. Yeah. I think it really could have escalated. Totally. Yeah. I mean, we can think of how this comes up with our partners. Mm. Right. And when we're tired, hungry, thirsty, we're no different than kids. Mm-hmm. When we're when our window of tolerance is small. Mm-hmm. Um, or if they do something that's triggering to that little child that lives inside or something, mm-hmm. like my husband might give a helpful suggestion, mm-hmm. not even to do, but mm-hmm. just like a, I think he's even said things, I mean, we've been together for 13 years. Like, I, yeah, why don't you just go take a break? Like, that's really kind. That's the nicest thing someone could say to yeah. a mom of three kids, right? Why don't you just go take a break? And I'm sure I've said things like, that's not what I need right now. I don't need to take a break or you don't know. It's like, yep. There's just no taking in of the care. Yes. There's no taking it. There's nothing that that person could do. Yes. That's blocked trust. And yes. it's and it's hard for the receiving person. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking if you if you the listener can think back to a time where someone tried to offer you care, could be a partner, a friend, a mentor, and there was this immediate, I mean, it's reactive. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. Or that won't work because. Mm-hmm. And, and be introspective, like, well, what is that part of you? Mm-hmm. How old is it, like mm-hmm. you were saying? Mm-hmm. And then think back to a time when you also tried to give care to someone. Um, could be a client or a friend or a partner. Mm-hmm. And you could just tell there was no metabolizing. There was no taking it in. Yeah. And how that felt. Because yeah. it doesn't feel good. 
No, it's painful. Yes. It's really helpless. Mm -hmm. I think I've ended things like with clients when I start to feel really, if I start feeling like all of a sudden I'm in this loop of giving suggestion and they're like, well, that won't work because, Mm -hmm. oh, I could hear this. Yeah, but, Mm. or even kids, it's like, the sky is blue. No, it's purple, right? Right. Like there's this activated, like they can't take in. Um, A lot of times I'll say like, I hear you and I'm going to be right here no matter how, like if they're really mad, I don't want to see you today or I don't want, like I hear you and I'm right here and you get to be upset or happy or mad or Mm -hmm. nothing about that. Like I'm going to be here. Yeah. Your examples, I'm just like thinking through so many people I've worked with, you know, even though you and I are talking about this, I'm like, wow, this really does show up everywhere. (laughs) And I'm also remembering a therapist that I knew that would um, call certain clients, yeah, but clients. She's like, you know, they're yeah, but clients. And I'm like, oh, they're not yeah, but clients. They just have blocked trust. Yeah. Huh. And let's honor that part because it's really wise. Right. I wonder how confusing it would be to those clients in a helpful way to say things like, seems like it's the the most helpful thing today is to just be exactly where you are. Mm. Like, cause I, I wonder if that's our agenda. We want to pull them out of their pain Mm -hmm. and that's, there's nothing amoral about that. Like it's not wrong. It's not immoral to do that, but, um, it's kind of violent. Mm-hmm. to their nervous system mm-hmm. so to say things like oh I'm noticing that you need to be exactly where you are yes and maybe I've been trying to pull you out of it yeah. and I apologize yeah that part of you really needs to be here mm-hmm. um circle of security speak yeah right exactly Cozzolino in in many of his books but in this recent one the development of a therapist he talks about this how it's, it should be no surprise to therapists that our secret mission or our like master mission is to really heal ourselves mm. Um, as we uh, quote heal others, right? Mm-hmm. We, we really go into this field to heal ourselves. And so I'm wondering, I used to not like that phrase mm-hmm. when the truth is, I, I wonder if we can just welcome that. So this week, as you show up with clients, can you notice the parts of you that need to be observed and healed? Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's blocked care or blocked trust or a different part of you. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's actually just really normal. We we come into this field to find healing ourselves and our clients provide those opportunities to be more reflective.